Good morning. It's great to be here at Spring Valley Baptist Church. You know, this church has really blessed my family. You know, when you're in the military, you're constantly moving. And it's always great to, to come and join a church where you see people who love the Lord, who love on you, love on your family, love on your children. And I tell you, we're blessed and, and I'm thankful for this church. This morning, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever wondered what God expects of you? I see one head. I mean, I have. I mean, if we're going to serve the Lord, right, we need to know what he expects of us, right? I ask this question a lot, and you would be surprised at some of the answers I receive. For some people, they'll say, well, I've been baptized, not realizing that that baptism has nothing to do with salvation. It's just obedience. It's about the internal thing. It's an outward sign of the internal change that's happened in your life. Some will say, well, I go to church. I say, that's good. That's good. But going to church makes you a Christian as much as going to a garage makes you a Cadillac. Am I right? It's, something's got to change, right? There's got to be something internal, something that changes within us. Others will say, well, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm basically a good person. And then I have to ask them, well, to whom are you comparing yourself to? Others would say that they glorify God, that that is what God expects of us, and that's very important. But how? I mean, what does that look like? In my opinion, the most important passage in the Bible is the one that we're going to look at today, and it's the one that's changed my life, and it's Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. And I'd ask you to turn there, and I'll tell you like I tell my soldiers, uh, religion is in the hands of some crazy people. Am I right? Okay, so look at it for yourself. So you know what I'm saying is true and right. And it's what our Savior is speaking to the religious leaders of that day. Now, Matthew chapter 22 is an interesting chapter because we have three religious sects, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Herodians. And and they're all asking Jesus different questions, trying to trick him, trying to prove whether he is truly the Son of God, truly trying to find out if he's truly who he says that he is. And if you'll follow along as I read out loud in Matthew chapter 22, verse 34, it says, But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, when we think of the word, when we think of a lawyer, we're not thinking of a lawyer like today. We're thinking of a scribe, right? We're thinking of like the Xerox machine for the Old Testament. Do you understand what I'm saying? His job was to jot down everything in the Old Testament, right, so that there's a record. And so when this lawyer asked the question of Jesus, he knows the law. Now, we're not quite sure if this was a, if his motive was truly to trick him, but he was sent by the Pharisees who often tried to trick Jesus, and see, look at how Jesus responds in verse 37. He says, 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Now, when we first look at these verses, I know what you're probably thinking. Okay, I know we're supposed to love. I mean, I got it. I mean, we come, we've come to church a long time, and, and, and I know that we have to love, and I know it's pretty, pretty plain here that that's what Jesus expects of us. But I'm telling you, it's so much deeper than that. Do you understand that by asking this question, Jesus, if he had made up a law, that he would have been considered a heretic? You see, earlier he claimed he was from the Father, right? He said he's from the Father, so he can't change the law. If he makes something up, he's a heretic. He's not truly the Son of God. If Jesus does not answer the question correctly, and maybe he says, well, this law is more important than this law, then they say, okay, we got him. We can argue and ultimately contradict what he's saying. You see how tricky this is, right? Finally, the primary authority of Judaism is Moses. You know, Moses led the Israelites out of the slavery. He gave them the law of God. He reminded them how to live uh, before they entered in the promised land. And the Pharisees probably expected that Jesus would place himself above Moses, the patriarch of the Jewish people. But Jesus, because he is the son of God, he answered the question perfectly. See, Jesus quoted what Moses was telling the Israelites before they crossed in the promised land in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 5 is known as the Shema. It's the same thing the Jews to this day recite when they wake up in the morning and before they go to bed at night. The Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. This is important. Because the Shema, the Shema helps to remind them the heart behind the law before they cross into the promised land. And Deuteronomy, if you ever read it, is a series of speeches by Moses. And when Moses, before he crosses into the promised land, he's basically telling them, this is how I want you to live before you go there. Today, Jesus says the same things. This is what I want you to know before I'm crucified and I leave you. I want you to know what you expect what to expect as believers. Now, I think we have to kind of back up for a minute, though, because we have to talk about love, right? Love in our culture today means only one thing, and that's emotional. You you understand what I'm saying? I mean, it's about feeling in love. Uh, This is important in our culture today to define love not in a romantic sense. Now, I'm not saying love isn't romantic, okay? But I'm saying it's so much more than a feeling. Love's got to be something more. And let me be clear with you. I'm, I'm not going to fall in love with Jesus as a man. I'm not going to have a sacred romance with Jesus as a man. Um, and I'm not going to have a love affair with Jesus because Jesus is not talking about Romantic love when he says to love. Jesus is talking about unconditional, sacrificial, 
eternal love. The word is agape, and there's only three types of love mentioned in the Bible. One's brotherly love, the other's parental love, and then finally we come here to this kind of love. You see, feelings come and go. Now, I hate to admit this to you. Please don't say anything to anybody, okay? But I don't wake up every morning and feel in love with my wife. Does that shock you? Do you wake, every mor- wake up every morning and feel in love with your spouse? Awesome. <laughs> Brother, I don't know who your wife is, but you got major points. But let's be honest this morning. Let's be honest this morning, right? Love's got to be more than a feeling because feelings come and go. It's a commitment. When I wake up in the morning, at least my spouse knows I'm committed to her and I'm willing to put it on the line to protect my family and to take care of my family and, and to be honorable man of God. Love is more than emotional feeling. If you have a chance, flip over to 1 John chapter 4, and I'm going to read 7 through 14, and I just want you to hear what love is. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. I hear Bibles turning. I definitely want to wait because it's important. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. For God is love. By this, love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. You see, it's a choice, right? Love is a choice. Love is a commitment. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Love is more than a feeling. Love's a sacrifice. Love isn't about you. It's about the person you love. Love is both who God is and what he's done and continues to do. John 3.16 is very clear, right? For God so loved the world, he did what? Yeah. Boy, we get it wrong when we talk about love just in romantic terms. And men, listen to me this morning. No one's asking you to fall in love with another man. Okay? They want you to be committed to Jesus Christ. Now, ladies, don't get mad at me. I watched the Hallmark Channel last night, brother. Okay? My father-in-law and I endured that pain for two hours. (laughs) So, you know, you you understand what I'm saying here. But let's look back at the scripture in verse 37. It says, God expects us to do what? to love him, and then he tells us how to love him. He tells us three ways. 
He tells us to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. The heart is the seat of the person's will and emotions. In other words, it deals with our motives. It's the reason why we do the things we do. Can I tell you something? The word heart is mentioned over 700 times in the Bible in 677 verses. It's the third most mentioned word in the word of God, only behind Lord and God. Why would that be important? Because we have got to understand that God changes our hearts. Secular psychologists might tell you that if you change your behavior, you will change who you are. Jesus says, you change your heart, you'll change your behavior. The biblical word heart is the inner part of the man. The Bible is clear that if we change our hearts, we'll change our behaviors. And the desires that are in our hearts manifest themselves into our behavior or to our action. Let me give you an example of this. Rick had already mentioned that I was a guard at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. And I know that you're surprised by that, but it was 30 pounds ago, okay? And I was 18 years old, and I enlisted in the Army. I was in the infantry. I ended up getting stationed at Fort Myer, Virginia, which is the old guard, which is the ceremonial unit uh, to the White House and to all the Washington, D.C. area. And I had the opportunity to try out to be a guard at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier in Arlington National Cemetery, And for eight months, I ate, slept, and drank that place. I had no life. Eight months of my life was dedicated to doing that solely, to be trained to do that job. And the big day came where I was trying to test to get out, or not to get out of the Army, but to get out of the training phase and actually be a tomb guard. That evening at 7 p.m., I went on guard duty after the cemetery closed, and I took my test, and my test was about outside performance, your ability to walk smoothly, where do you place the rifle, do you you in sync with the other soldiers that are out there. Uh, It has to do with your uniform preparation. Does your uniform fit the right way? Is everything placed correctly on it? Um, Your shoes are shined. We still spit shine our shoes there. And then finally is our knowledge of the cemetery. We have to know the locations of certain grave sites. We have to know the entire history of our international cemetery. I had dedicated my life to that. And at 7 p.m. that night after the cemetery closed, my sergeant came up to me and he said, Hey, Denning, he said, I'm sorry to inform you, but you didn't make it. I was crushed. Have you ever spent your entire life working for something? Well, not your entire life, but at 18 it was. Eight months. And you got news like that? And he said, look, I'm sorry to tell you this, but if you have a choice, you can either stay up here all night or you can go pack your bags and we'll do the paperwork in the morning. I said, okay, well, if this is one time, if this is my one shot, then that's what I'm going to do. I'll stay up here. And from 7 p.m. until 7 a.m., I walked up and down the mat. It was cold. It was December. My knees hurt me. My back ached. 7 a.m. that morning, my sergeant comes out. 
and he hands me a tomb guard badge and he says, congratulations, now we know where your heart is. You passed everything. You passed the knowledge, you passed the uniform, you passed the outside manual. We just want to make sure you're not down at the bar trying to pick up girls because you're a tomb guard. We want to know that you're dedicated. We want to know that you're committed. We want to know that you're choosing to be here. That's love. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, hey, I want you to love me with all your heart. And he goes on to say, I want you to love me with all your soul. The soul means life. It's the center of our experiences of who we are. It's, it's used to refer to our essence. And then he goes on and talks about our mind, which is the cognitive part of our lives. It's how we reason things. It's how we judge things. It's how we know things about life. In fact, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, what? To take every thought captive. What is Jesus saying? He's saying he wants you to love him with your whole being. Now, let's just be honest with one another. That's a lot. But don't we owe that to him? Don't we owe our lives to our creator? And let me tell you, it's not easy. I'm not standing up here telling you, hey, what I'm saying is easy to do. It's not. But Jesus tells the Pharisees, hey, I'm telling you the same thing that Moses told the Israelites. I'm your God. And I want you to love me with all your being. We go on and see in chapter 22, Verse 39, he says, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Moses also said this in Leviticus 19.18. So Jesus takes two laws or two things that he tells the Israelites before they go into the promised land and he puts them together and he tells them that this is the most important thing in my expectation of you. But I want, instead of giving you an illustration, I'd like to just give you some myths here about this passage I've heard a lot of people say that you can't love others unless you love yourself. The problem is we love ourselves too much. That's the problem. It assumes that we already love ourselves. The problem here is that we love ourselves so much, if we would only treat others like we love ourselves, then we would be treating them the right way. Secondly, I want to tell you another myth here is that Jesus is not saying love your neighbor and hate your enemy. He's saying love everyone. He's saying love everyone regardless of your social class. He's saying love everyone regardless of your race. Love everyone regardless of your gender. He's saying you need to love everyone and you need to start seeing people the way that I see them and I love them. And I need you to go out and abide in my love and love them the way that I love them so that they know that I am who I say that I am. That's a big deal. That's huge. Jesus has another time where he's talking to someone else in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, and he gives an illustration of how to love, and he gives the illustration of the Good Samaritan. We won't turn there this morning, but it's important to note, if you're curious on how to love, look at the Good Samaritan, because I will tell you, you need to know that loving will cost you something. It's going to cost you convenience. It's going to cost you your pride. 
It's going to cost you your time. It's going to cost you your money. In some cases, when we reach out to love people, what is going to cost us? Rejection. But God calls us to love. Loving others is commanded by God, and loving others is the only way to show that God himself loves them too. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that's what he's asking you to do. And what better time to do that than this season? I think it's important to note here that Jesus did not eliminate, eliminate, boy, that's a tough word. Jesus did not eliminate the law, nor did he make something up. Look here in verse 40 of the text, Matthew chapter 22, verse 40. He says, on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. You ever wonder what the Bible was about? You ever get confused about, hey, I haven't really read Leviticus. Let's be honest. It's not like, I mean, I read it to go to bed. I don't read it to stay awake. You understand what I'm saying? Jesus says this sums up the entire law. This is what I wanted the Israelites to understand. And the Pharisees have flipped it and they've twisted it. And they're using it for their own political and personal gain. And what they're doing is they're oppressing people by religion instead of saying, hey, it's internal, it's not external. God knows our hearts. He knows it's the wellspring of life. What's in it will come out. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. Jesus returns the law back to its intended meaning and he reframes it. And the intent of the law was to point out our own sinfulness and the need for a savior. Am I right? That's what the purpose of the law was for. Was to indicate our own sinfulness that we can't do what God has instructed us to do. But he's going to send us a savior that one day will pay it for us. And then he gave us the Holy Spirit to help us to love him and to love others. I would tell you, as a chaplain, people are hard to love. You, you have a couple of my commanders, okay? They're hard people to love sometimes. And if you're a commander in here, I love you. <clears throat> but let's run a litmus test on this. Let's see if what Jesus says is correct. Let's use the Ten Commandments, right? Because that's the law. The law says you shall love no other gods before me. Well, if you love Jesus with all your heart, mind, and soul, that's not an issue. You're not going to put any gods before him. You shall make for yourself no graven image, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Honor your mother and your father. Love your neighbor as yourself. You shall not murder Love your neighbor as yourself. You shall not commit adultery. Love your neighbor as yourself. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. If you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, you're not going to do that. So can I tell you something? If you live by rules and regulations, that's fine. But Jesus knows whether you're real or faking it. 
He knows whether you truly know him because God knows our heart. Look, the Pharisees, I've already mentioned this, twisted the law. But let me show you basically in this water bottle. Oh, boy. After Thanksgiving, it's tough to reach down there. I'm getting old. Um, I think you can look at this illustration as the law being this water bottle, right? The law is actually the bottle itself, and the love is the water. You can't have one without the other, am I right? I mean, if you've... If you have the container, the container in itself without the water, and you can't really hold the water without the container. But what if the water was love and Jesus poured the love back into the law? And we see now how the Old Testament and the New Testament work together and how under the new covenant we fall under Christ and his work on the cross for us. I think it's really cool how this is dubbed the greatest commandment because all of us know that you cannot command love. Once you do, it ceases to become love. But we serve an awesome God who says, I want you to choose me. You're not a robot. You can choose to love me or not. And as a chaplain... I tell some people, hey, Jesus loves you. They're like, yeah, whatever, I don't love him. Okay, that's your choice. I'm not going to shove it on you. It's your choice. You have a choice to make that decision or not. Sometimes I think we forget that. I think we want so bad someone to make a decision for Christ. We want somebody, and we're begging them, do it, do it. But if you're not doing it out of the fact that you truly love them and you want to see the best in their lives spiritually, you've missed the point. Otherwise, you're just a cog in this wheel of religion. See what I'm getting at? We need to show people we truly love them and we love everything about them, including their spiritual condition. This Christmas, I'd ask you, please, evaluate your own lives like I will evaluate mine and I'll ask my family to evaluate theirs. And let's truly love people the way God has commanded us to love them. And let's find out how we can love God by evaluating our own hearts. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. So many years ago when I picked that up and I saw it and I read it for myself, boy, it just changed my life. And I'm thankful for that. Lord God, I, I pray for anyone in this room who's never heard this, who's never understood that a decision, making a decision for you is not a cultural thing. It's, it's not necessarily the thing that needs to be done, but it's because they truly want to give their lives to you. They want understand that you judge our motives and our hearts. Lord, help us lead this place and give us the love for others, even though some might seem unlovable. May we show your light in the darkness this Christmas season. In your holy name we pray these things, Lord Jesus. Amen.